going to skip the usual intro here and get right to the business. My name is Chuck Ghost, host of Culture Comes and Cocktails and Senior Strategic Advisor at Social Chorus. I just found out about this new research conducted by Edelman, which is a special report from their usual trust barometer, but this one focuses specifically on COVID-19, which is a top of mind of everyone, but especially for communicators, and I think it's critical for communicators to hear about, but also should be inspiring. I reached out to a friend at Edelman to come on the podcast to talk about this research and the findings. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I will obviously direct you to where to get the rest of it. So to introduce my guest here, your name is? Tamara Rodman. And your job is? I'm executive vice president um, of the Edelman's employee experience practice based in Chicago. And your favorite cocktail is? Moscow Mule all the way. All right, we couldn't, we couldn't forget the cocktail part of this, but let's <laughs> dig right into the research. I want to know, give people a lay of the land of, of the overall report, how many people were interviewed from where, and why did Edelman think it was important to focus specifically on trust around COVID-19? Great. So this study specifically was conducted March 6th through 10th with 10,000 respondents online through an online survey in 10 different countries globally around the world. And we, this is a subset of Edelman's annual trust barometer, which looks at trust in business, government, media, and NGOs. We've been doing the study, the, the overall annual study for 20 years now. Uh, because we truly believe that trust is, unlike reputation, a forward-looking metric that really defines um, to the extent to which you believe a, an institution like business, government, media, um, will do the right thing going forward. So that's why, we do, that's why we study trust overall. But why do we study trust right now? Because this is a defining and quite frankly, unprecedented moment in modern history. And we know that there is so much fear, there is so much misinformation and concern globally that we felt that it was our obligation to understand how can we help? How can business, government, media, other institutions actually help to allay some of these fears um, by leaning into the strength that they may have as an institution? And I think some key points there to, for communicators is that it, it is global. Uh, all the research and data is from this month. So it is very new. It is very real. And as we know, uh, this new story in this world we live in is, is changing by the day. So um, the information is fresh. The data is fresh. Uh, so use this as, as guidance. And what I liked about uh, when I first saw the report is the organization uh, identified eight key findings and how they impact not just communicators, but I think also leaders of the organization. So Tamara, I want to go through these one by one and talk through how they impact communicators and leaders. And I think the first one, uh, when I mentioned that, I think it's critical for communicators to hear this research, but should also inspire them, is that definitely that inspiration point for them. And what you guys found is that the most credible source during this time of COVID-19 is employer communications. Yes, absolutely, Chuck. So this actually mirrored what we saw in the uh, annual trust parameter study that came out in late January, which showed even then that 
my own employer is more trusted than um, the media and the government, which that finding in itself stemmed from the fact that trust has truly gone local, right? Um, it used to be uh, historically in public um, and public authority figures like CEOs and you know government officials, so on and so forth. Then um, sort of five to 10 years ago, social media turned, uh, turned really to peer-to-peer -peer influence. Now that both of those institutions have essentially become distrusted, um, really who we trust um, now globally tends to be um, the people around us and uh, trust has really gone local. So think about where you spend the majority of your life, probably at work um, or working in some capacity, wherever that may be these days. So what uh, the, the most recent coronavirus specific study very much affirms that overall finding that essentially people believe and are looking to their own employer as a credible source of information about the coronavirus. And in fact, there is an expectation that their company and their organization be talking about what are we doing to safeguard employees? What, um, what protocols are we putting in place to ensure that, no, that as few people as possible get sick? And, and I think uh, digging deeper into the data, I think another key point for internal communicators is they, there's this adage, cliche, saying, whatever you want to call it, people need to see a message multiple times to internalize it and believe it. And what you guys found is that for most people, they saw it once or twice from their company. They were good. Like they, they, they believed it and they, they understood it. So especially for those communicators out there who you had all kinds of other priorities in January and mid-February to mid-February, and now your life is probably all COVID-19. The message here is that all that work you're doing is worth it. It is making a difference in that relationship and trust between your colleagues and the company in general. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that the, the gulf between, um, you know, uh, employer communication and then between government website um, and traditional media sources in terms of how many times do I need to hear from that those sources to believe the information it is significant um, with employer communication very much leading the way in terms of if I hear you know once or twice I will believe what my company is telling me the second key finding uh, you guys found is the most relied on source of information is mainstream news organizations. And I don't think that that's uh, maybe necessarily a surprise given the volume of news organizations we have, but what can an internal communicator take away from that? I think the, the big finding here, the big, big takeaway simply is to use this to your advantage and cite the most, um, the most up-to-date and credible news that you have. Um, and it's okay to not be health experts as internal communicators, no one expects that of you. But if you are, let's say, issuing new guidance, um, and I hope you are doing that regularly within your own organizations, you just simply point people to, you know, include links to, some, to established, respected mainstream news organizations on the pertinent topic. You do not have to um, be the expert, you're not the expert. By backing up um, the, the, you know, policy decisions and decisions that you make overall will um, is, is only going to go better if you simply point to those sources of information that you know have credibility. Yeah, I think here, especially with 
again, as you mentioned, it's, it's okay to acknowledge that maybe no one in the company is that, is that health expert and just simply pointing people to places or citing the research and data that maybe you're including in communication. So people know that where it's coming from, that it is from, from another trusted uh, news organization or somebody out there. So they can almost do some, some verifying because as we know, um, fake news is something that is, is very prevalent in today's world. And people want to know that the stuff they're reading, um, they can rely on to be true. The third finding here is the most trusted spokespeople are scientists and doctors, MDs. Now, some companies, if you're large enough, you might have a chief medical officer. You might have scientists that, that work at your organization. Some do not. Um, so what did you guys find in this area, Tamara? Well, let me answer that by giving you an example of what Edelman internally has done, because we do not have um, uh, scientists and doctors, like you said, on staff um, necessarily. So um, we actually have, um, have access to and have had a number of global town halls that we have done uh, virtually. And we have brought in Dr. David Barrow, who is a special envoy um, to, from the uh, World Health Organization on um, COVID-19. Um, he has joined two the, the two uh, global webcasts that we have had, town halls for employees, and you know, been fairly generous with with his time, frankly, um, in answering questions, which there have been many. We've been submitting um, virtually through the app, and really talking about uh, how the situation has evolved where he is in Europe, um, what we can potentially expect um, to see here in the United States, where I'm based. Um, and what um, what business should generally be thinking about. So um, I applaud Edelman as my own employer for, for having done that. And I'm not suggesting that every company has the ability to, to, um, to sort of bring in and have direct access to someone from the who, but um, I think looking to resource, there are resources available and looking, even if it's just to, again, like we were saying a moment ago, to be able to um, link to sources of credible information, I think that's still that is still much better than not doing that. But if you do have the access and the ability to um, have you know an appearance or um, you know communication with someone that is a respected figure of authority in the medical community, do it. What you guys found too is that the CEO the trust level or trusted spokespeople there was just kind of in the middle of the pack, which I think shows that people do want to hear from the experts and they know that most likely your CEO is not an expert. In fact, they said they want to hear more from scientists and less from even people like CEOs or politicians. Mm -hmm. So it is a chance to perhaps reach out to your network. You know, I have found that especially in this time, we need to rely on and lean on those experts even more. And that's why, in an upcoming episode of this, I uh, will be interviewing a physician, uh, an MD, to talk about what he is seeing on the front lines of this and the advice he has for organizations. So even here on the podcast, I'm trying to bring about uh, truly trusted spokespeople uh, to be on here. The fourth finding you found, which I think really speaks to uh, communicators, is this need for frequency. So right away, it says seven in 10 respondents, they're following coronavirus news and media at least once a day. I imagine 
now, again, this data even being just a week or two old, that might that number might be even higher because it says 33% are checking several times a day. I am definitely part of that 33% of <laughs> checking that several times a day. But I think this speaks to communicators around staying visible with messaging and, and being top of mind for employees. What I would wish and hope and, and strongly advise um, organizations, if you are not already talking proactively with your employees um, on a, at least, at minimum, weekly basis, start doing it immediately. Um, as, you, as, as Chuck, as you pointed out, the expectation is I really want to hear from my employer. Actually, daily would be ideal. Uh, that, of course, is a very high bar to clear. But the reality is people are looking, are hungry and very desperate for information. So uh, they want to hear what is, uh, what are we doing to respond to the crisis? Um, even if, and, and it's interesting, in some of the clients that I've been counseling on this issue, um, they've said things like, well, I, I, what, what could I possibly add to the conversation that hasn't already been said? Like, I, I'm not an expert <laughs> and you're not expected to be if you're the CEO, of course. But the reality is, there just the act of simply acknowledging that people are expecting to hear from you and to address that, even if it is a daily roundup of um, what is being said in the news media, any um, changes or decisions that have been made by the company around uh, you know, travel restrictions or, or meetings that may have been planned previously that um, might be either postponed or conducted virtually. Uh, there is something that you can say and contribute uh, simply, I think, and truly to continue to build trust with your own employees who are expecting to hear from you regularly, very regularly um, on this topic. Yeah, I think about it, and, and I know you and I have both been busy, as are the listeners in this time, either giving instruction, advising, counseling, uh, brainstorming ideas, and, and it is really that that consistency of it. And it doesn't always have to be critical news updates. It could be, you know, leaders being very vulnerable about what's on their mind or recognizing people during this time and, and recognizing the challenges that some people might be facing during this time and, and what, what, what they are doing and what others can do. So it's not just the, here's an update, here's a policy update, but recognizing the world we all live in is, is very strange for a lot of people. And I think that's a chance to maybe put some leaders in there, even though they might not be that spokesperson for the, for this weird world we're in, they could certainly be a <laughs> spokesperson for the, for the employees. Number five, which is my employer is better prepared than my country. And I think this shows amazing trust that, that people, you know, we've seen this play out, not even in a political way that companies have been able to react sometimes much quicker than countries are, which, makes a lot of sense. But what can a communicator take from this one? Yeah. Well, I think, um, yes, there's definitely the upside here, which is is the, the positive in that um, there is a lot of trust in employers to be able to react more quickly. I do think this also speaks to the fact that um, this, in the, this year's overall trust barometer study found that uh, levels of trust in government are, you know, have pretty much bottomed out, right? So I do think it's partially... Uh, Kind of an indictment of um, governments in most of the country, in many of the countries that we spoke with. Um, but what I think you can take from this, though, is that um, really 
employers are seen as having a certain agility and an ability to move quickly because the, their business typically depends on it, um, the, you know, in most of the sectors that um, folks work on. And therefore, um, companies and employees are used to being, have to acting swiftly and quickly to respond to the normal course of business conditions in the ever-changing marketplace. So um, really, people have seen this as, uh, look, my company has the ability to enact a travel ban um, almost immediately um, versus it may take the government days or, or weeks or perhaps even months to, to be able to mobilize that. So I think the fact that, again, people see uh, employers as having the license and the ability to move quickly and decisively has really played into um, the high level of trust they have during the, the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, I think it speaks to you. I wonder how many of those red crisis binders got dusted off this week and last week of people going back through their plans and perhaps realizing maybe how out of date it might have been. <laughs> but but I do think what kind of what you were saying, a company can do and react to what's right for their people. And what one company might do that's right is going to be different than another company. So as long as they were prepared and doing the right things, and I think, and, and we've seen that play out in a lot of organizations who are very forward thinking and very responsible thinking and how, whether it's employees work from home or travel restrictions or telling people to, to stay home if you're not feeling well, even thinking about weeks ago, uh, you know, government wasn't necessarily saying that, but companies were doing what was right for their employees. So I think that's great to see. But then the next one's kind of a, a little bit of a spinoff of that where it said government and business is expected to team up. And I think we have seen that play out in the response, both from a government standpoint and business standpoint, where there is that working together, which I think should only increase the trust in what's happening. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I think that pretty much speaks for itself, that finding. But, um, you know, the fact that um, look, neither business nor government is expected to solve this health crisis independent of the other. Um, certainly, um, employees have the expectation that their, their CEO is, um, you know, an expert um, in um, pandemics. And I think similarly, uh, the sense is that, you know, governments have the ability to enact wide-ranging, widespread um, regulations and laws, um, business, but knowing that there sometimes is a lag and business sort of lends the agility and the ability to act fast. So, um, it's this idea of synergy, right? So two parts um, working together equal more than um, each of them working individually. So it's very much seen as partnership and an opportunity for business and government to work together to solve it. Yep. And then the seventh one, again, is this great trend around the role of, of business in that employer-employee relationship where the employees have high expectations of the actions that business is going to take, both internally to protect employees, but also the local community. And that speaks to the relationship that businesses have, not just with the people that work there, but the surrounding communities. Again, this is something we have seen uh, play out quite, quite frequently here in this, in this world we're in. Absolutely. No, it's, it's close to eight out of 10 respondents expect, not just you know, want, but actually expect their business to protect them and the local community. So, um, you know, we've, we've seen uh, employees and employers, you know, like you said, canceling non-essential events, limiting uh, meetings that are of a certain size, working from home, 
making sure their their own people actually have the ability to successfully work from home. Um, some of the things that I've seen um, that worked really well. Some companies are offering stipends for um, you know upgraded Wi-Fi for extra monitors or equipment um, for employees who may not have traditionally worked from home or you know um, kind of upgrading their video conferencing abilities. Um, and like the idea of sick pay, offering that where maybe it hadn't existed before. So um, very much the sense of, look, I work for you. I give you an awfully large uh, chunk of my day and my time and talents. And in return, I expect that you protect me. I think, I, I, so I, I'm not surprised at all to see that high expectation. Um, I guess what does surprise me is that some companies have been a bit slow to react in that capacity. Um, but I think, look, this is a situation that is changing day by day, sometimes hour by hour. So fortunately, I have started to see more and more employers come to the realization that, look, we can't insist that people come to the office. We can't expect them to uh, to be able to um, do that when they have no childcare or because their children are now um, at home learning virtually. Yeah, I love seeing and hearing stories. It's not even companies, you know, that's the challenge with internal comms is there's no big releases and announcements typically that you see unless it is a, a major organization. But I have seen individuals share the, whether it be on Twitter or LinkedIn, what their business is doing to help and assist and make things a little bit easier. And, you know, as someone who has worked remote for a very long time, uh, my day-to-day -day work life, how I operate for work, hasn't really changed that much. And I probably uh, misunderstood some of those changes that might happen to people when I saw individuals start sharing pictures of them using an ironing board to set their <laughs> laptop on because they didn't have a desk at home. And it, that, that's, that's a big adjustment. But I do like seeing organizations recognize that maybe not everybody's equipped the same at home and whether it be that stipend for better Wi-Fi or... Um, even organizations who are giving away their technology to help people do it. I think th this is one of those things that maybe aside from the, from the comms world, there will be winners and losers from, from this. And I'm talking from a health standpoint, from a reputation standpoint. And those organizations that have done the right things because it's the right thing to do will end up being those organizations that people then want to work for in the future. Absolutely. And I, and I think, too, you know, it, it also goes beyond um, sort of the technological and infrastructure pieces, right? Um, the iron, I love the ironing board example. Um, but um, I, I think really, if you think about this, this is culturally a major shift for a lot of organizations, where you, especially where you have a lot of office-based employees who are used to seeing people every day, right? And for a lot of folks, especially, especially those who are extroverts, this is a big shift, right? And it can be the, the feelings of social sort of isolation are very real. So, you know, there's there's a real expectation, I think, that employers really acknowledge that and talk about how are you help, how can they help employees combat that isolation and really what are the mental health resources that are available, physical health resources, right? A lot of I, I can tell you in Chicago, pretty much um, all of the gyms are closed. Um, I am a bit of a wimp, so I'm not going to go running outside if it's any less than about 60 degrees. So um, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, how do you stay in shape? How do you simply take care of yourself? A lot of companies are doing sort of fitness challenges where, you know, they'll tell folks, 
look, the time that you would have spent commuting to your job, use that to, you know, to, to do some form of physical activity, right? Go outside, um, do a brisk walk, 10 jumping jacks, whatever it is. Um, I've seen some companies that are doing uh, kind of team challenges where they start each virtual meeting um, with, you know, hold a plank for a minute um, or whatnot, um, simply to help keep people's energy and their spirits up and so forth. And the last thing I will say, I promise um, this is a long answer, um, is really from a culture perspective, now more than ever, leaders have to do a really, really excellent and concerted effort to maintain that feeling of connectedness. It is certainly harder when you're not seeing people every day, but it can be done. So doing things like making, you know, standing check-ins, using video is highly preferable than phone calls. Um, just simply minimize that really annoying photo of yourself and don't even look at it and how many chins it looks like you may have there. But the reality is seeing people's other human faces uh, really is a completely different experience than talking on the phone. And really just doing that, making it a, a regular, you know, every day we check in, even if it's just for five, 10, 15 minutes, just to see each other, say, hey, what's going on? What are you working on? Where can I help? Who's busy? Who needs more support? That can go so far in maintaining that sense of connectedness versus isolation. Yeah, we on that episode I mentioned with the physician, we talk about the psychological and physical impact of isolation. And my big recommendation so far is to go on that good 30, 40 minute walk in the evening just to get out and get that fresh mm. air to resume some sort of normalcy um, in the current situation. And then the final one here, which again, kind of a good uh, circle kicker, bringing back the old journalism term, um, employers must share information. This is when people have heard me speak at events, I talk about the ostrich effect, which is when news is bad, some people tend to bury their heads. This is the opposite of what needs to happen now, that employees want information. We talked about the frequency and we know they trust it, but they, they want to know the details. They want to know, I thought this was interesting, more than half want to know if someone in the business has contracted the virus and how is it impacting the ability to operate. It's not just the go wash your hands and we have a travel restriction and here's a link to the CDC. They want to really know how this is impacting the business. And this is a chance for communicators to become that trusted advisor and, and position leaders and those that have that knowledge as voices of authority. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, every, I think it makes sense that folks want to know, is anyone in the organization affected? Um, also, if someone is, um, has been diagnosed positive or test positive, um, understanding, you know, while not necessarily naming individuals, reaching out to those folks who might have had contact, right? And advising for them to get tested or, or to self-quarantine, right? Um, I think it's interesting too that um, a lot of the, the questions that boys are having are of course about health and this, you know, the, the transmission of the virus, but also there's, there's a real concern around how is this affecting our ability as an organization to operate and continue to perform? Uh, which I, I think speaks to the fact also that, and we saw this in our in our um, sort of annual study, um, trust barometer in, in January, that people are worried about their jobs, you know, which felt felt at the time a little incongruous considering that the economy was at an all-time high, 
unemployment all-time low. Now there's obviously concerns circulating around is is this going to lead to you know a market correction or worse? So um, people want to know how are we continuing to run our business? How are we continuing to make sure we can fulfill our obligations to our customers and our clients, our consumers? So uh, I think you know a lot of it is yes. What does this mean for me? Of course, that's the basic tenet of, of internal communications: is make it relevant to the individual, but also what does this mean for us as a company and as an organization? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because just when you said, what, is it, what does it mean to me? I was thinking in my head like, no, this is one of those rare times where it is about us. This is about those communities at work that, that we all rely on and use without even necessarily always realizing the impact that they have on us. And this is a chance, an opportunity for us to look out for ourselves and our loved ones, but also neighbors, community, coworkers, everybody out there. Um, so first off, Tamara, again, thanks for, for taking time out of your very busy day. I'm sure as soon as you're done with this, you're going to go off and work with other clients around it much like I am. But I want to thank you and Edelman for the quick reaction and quick work to uh, put out this report, because I really do think as communicators have been putting in extra hours and probably shouldering additional responsibilities, much like other people across organizations, they kind of wonder sometimes, is it really making a difference? And I think this report shows that it is having such a huge impact on that relationship that an employee has with an employer and internal communicators specifically are right at the, the critical point of that. So every ounce of effort you're putting into this, every little bit of creativity, Every little bit of connection you're building certainly matters during this time. Absolutely. It sure does. And thank you, Chuck. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed what you heard from this episode and want to check out others, find Culture Comes and Cocktails on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And when you do, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. This has been Culture Comes and Cocktails. Internal comms served straight up. Thanks for listening.